Yo, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in today's show. Today, we have a best-selling author named Josh Hood. Josh served proudly in the Army. We actually were in Ramadi together, unknowingly. He is a law enforcement officer. He also has, He's also a veteran ambassador for American War Initiative. That's actually how we met. His books are Clear by Fire and Warning Order. They're thrillers. Make sure you go out and get those. Read them. All right. Today we just talk about his transition from military to police. We also talk a little bit about the gap between military and law enforcement PTSD. We touch on his book, how he came up with the storyline, how he just even decided, like, you know what, I'm going to be an author. We talk on that. So if any of you are listening out there, you need a little motivation or you're interested in writing, this is right up your alley. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know what you think anywhere on social media. Ben Lunick. Other than that, have a great day. Semper Fidelis. Yeah, dude, I'm good. How about you? Fantastic, man. It's good to hear from you. I'm glad I called you that one a couple days ago. Yeah, man. It's been a, been a crazy couple days. Yeah, why is that? Uh, we had like a little deal uh, <clears throat> Thursday where rolled up on a car and the dude had been shot in the leg and it hit his femoral and had to luckily you know able to save the dude's life but it was kind of like <laughs> fuck i hadn't put a tourniquet on in a while and you know <clears throat> it was one of those things where you're like oh crap this is real did it hit him right up uh by the groin there yeah it, uh bullet went in it was 762 went in like right Ooh. above the knee hit the bone shattered the bone the exit wound was like parallel to his dick and like severed his dick but dude he was gushing <laughs> He's lucky he still has a leg, man. Yeah, one of the dudes uh, that was with us was like, dude, you got to hold his arms. And he saw dude's junk and he was like, what? What? <laughs> I was like, whoa, man, come on. <clears throat> but uh, it looks like he's going to make it. He like coded out in the ambulance, but made it through surgery. Was he, Was the guy just at the wrong place or around wrong time or was he a banger? Oh, he was selling some, selling some rock and yes. somebody didn't like his prices, man. <laughs> Slanging rock and drinking <clears throat> 40s. He was slinging rock on the corner, and somebody wanted to jack him. <laughs> Is that does that happen a lot up there? Uh, yeah. I mean, we were in like South Memphis, uh, working like at a saturation, like overtime detail, and so we were in like the crappy neighborhoods and stuff. So it's that's pretty typical. But usually, like you see, like the after effects or some dude, uh, you know, whatever. You don't. It's very rare when you know you call. Uh, when you catch it, like, dude, on the way to the hospital or whatever, and you're like, you ain't going to make it, bro. Dude, Actually, his son was driving. You told him that? Well, I mean, his son was driving, and uh, uh, hang on a sec. So, like, we were straight up just about to be done. It was like 20 minutes left. We've been working a 16-hour shift, and I see one of our cars rolling out after this Lexus, and the dude's not stopping. So I'm like, damn, what the hell? So I go behind him, and then they all jump out and do their thing, and I heard like shots, whatever, on the radio. So I thought one of our dudes was in a sh- getting shot. So I roll out, and the dude's son was driving him. And uh, so I go around the pasture side. Dude's just like bleeding out, like freaking, you know, spurting. I was like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> what's up, bro? What's up, bro? You want let's party, man? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, man. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Well, it's pretty cool that you can act on that. Do you think your experience in the army has helped you out with that? 
Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, what everybody said was like, we've had a little medical training and stuff, but, you know, it was just all combat lifesavers, like coming back, you know, the strange thing was like, you know, like when they work on the roads and they leave like a, like a hole, they'll put that metal plate on the ground. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting there working on the dude and kind of in the light, he looks like kind of Hodges because I got my like headlamp on and stuff. Uh-huh. I keep hearing these cars going over that thing, dude, and it sounds like kind of like incoming and it got like <laughs> you know you push everything out but it was like real for a second yeah. you're like damn man you saved that man's life how does that make you feel i'm just glad to be a blessing dude you just try to you know some people think what you're talking about from the military is all bs and stuff and then when they see like what soldiers are trained to do in the moment you know it kind of like opens people's eyes and they're like hey man these dudes aren't just like killers or whatever else you know like you know it's one of those things if i hadn't been there and been in the military the dude would have died and it was just like you know, you and I, I don't think we'd think much of it, but it's just like people make a big deal. I'm just yeah. like, man, I was just doing what anybody else in that situation yeah. would have done, I think. We're not only trained to kill them more, but we're more importantly, we're trained to preserve life. You know? Yeah. I mean, and that's what people lose, like kind of that loss in translation is that like we don't go into Afghanistan and Iraq, smoke people, you know, we're there to like <laughs> yeah. do some good. and Build that rapport. Win the yeah. heart, where I, the hearts and minds, bruh. Yeah, if you if you need some killing, you know, we'll we'll help you out. But I'm just saying. <laughs> I want to thank you uh, for coming on the show today. We have Josh Hood. He is a. Are you on? Are you best selling yet? Uh, yeah. Are uh, you? Yes. You yeah. are. Yeah. I guess we've sold enough books that they throw that title out. They throw it out loosely. Outstanding, man. That's a good job. You should be proud of that. He's the author of Warning Order and also Clear by Fire. If I recall, it's like a series, right? Right. Yeah, I haven't. I'm sorry, I haven't read it yet. So You're I need. Busy dude, man. I need to go out and buy those books. I'll oh, send you a copy. Dude, don't send me that. All right. You worked hard for it. I want to. I want to support you. Oh. Well, you support me. Have me on here, dude. I appreciate it. Dude, if it makes you feel any better, I haven't even read Sean's book yet. Yeah, there's a lot of like color, like crayon drawings. I got a little confused about it, but <laughs> like, where are the words, John? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but thank you. I guess uh, start out, tell a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the Army. Little did we know, real quick, little did uh, Josh and I know, we served in Ramadi at the same time. He is Army, so I won't hold that against him, but he is a true grunt. We first met in, was it Wisconsin? Wisconsin. In, in June. True grunt, man. He's a good guy. Go ahead, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the Army. Uh, well, I mean, I just went to college right after high school and uh, about, you know, 9-11 happened. And, you know, I wanted to join up right then, but we had my mom really wanted me to finish college. So I joined up and actually in 2003, shipped out to basic 2004, you know, went to basic airborne school, went to Fort Bragg and then went to Iraq. Got attached to the second Mardiv there, went up near Al-Khan, did a bunch of stuff there, Usaba, Hakla and I, and then... Started popping off in Ramadi, so we decided they sent us down there to help out. Right on, right on. What was that? Uh, well, I knew what it was like, but paint a picture for the people listening what, um, I guess, Ramadi at the time uh, was like. You know, they, th they throw this, like, most dangerous place in the world out a lot. You know, you heard it about Fallujah, but at the time, that's, like, what Ramadi was. It was kind of this, like, perfect storm of, like, destruction, I guess. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it's hard to, like, you know, if you see movies with these, like, apocalyptic you know, scenes, that's kind of what it looked like, man. Everything's shot out and there's just like, you know, incoming all the time. And, you know, it's just like you're on, you're working nights because you're on that reverse cycle. And it's just, you know, when you get on route Michigan and head out, you know, it's like, let's roll because it's about to get real. Yeah. It's, uh, it's quick because Ramadi at the time was popping off right after Fallujah. And when we cleaned house in Fallujah, everyone just packed up and moved down the street to Ramadi. 
So it was, yeah. it was like a per- like you said, a perfect storm. When did you get out of the army? I got out in uh, late 2008. Got a job at the sheriff's department uh, because I mean it was one of those things. You know the economy was real bad. I don't know if people remember, but housing market had just crashed, and I was like, man, I need a job that has like sustainability. You know, like right. a garbage man or like a cop or something. So they were hired, and I applied, and the rest is history. A lot of veterans have troubles. They think they have troubles. Uh, I guess getting on with the police department because they get out. The first thing they think is like, man, I need to get on with like a police or fire department. Did you have any problems with that? And if so, what were they? You know, the only problem I had, and like I was really lucky because I guess the dwell time between me being a civilian and me being like in the sheriff's department was like six months or something. So it was pretty short. You know, it's it's different for a um, a soldier, I think, going into those things because, you know, you got a lot of dudes who are coming in from like high school or college. They never seen anything and like you kind of feel like you've seen it and done it all. So like when they're telling their stories about this and that, you're like, you know, that's cool. Like not taking anything away from like law enforcement, but like I just come back from a 15 month, you know, deployment in Afghanistan. So (laughs) they're talking about dudes like running from them and stuff. And you're like, yeah, well I was getting mortared, you know, six months ago or whatever. So, you know, it's one of those things where they don't understand you really. And they're a little intimidated, I think, by what, you know, soldiers have done. And so in a lot of ways, you think it's going to be the same as like, um, you know, the military. And there's a lot of differences. And you just kind of got to like get in where you fit in. Mm-hmm. I met this guy is like from what I understand, from what I experienced, because I was trying to get on the police department for years. And from what I understand, it is a very rare case that you actually get on the first time you go through the testing process. Is that what do you think about that? Well, um, I think here, like being in Memphis, it's a little different because the Memphis Police Department, which takes care of the city, and then we have the county, which takes care of the county and the city. And they're always like trying to get more people. I've heard from other people that like, you know, they had a hard time. I was lucky that interview me was like, um, he had read a lot about, you know, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he, he told me later, he's like, you know, I, I figured you'd done, you know, all this stuff for the country. And like, it was, I just, you deserved a chance at least. And so, you know, that's kind of what helped me out. Was that, um, I've, I've ran into a couple people on law enforcement and they say they, uh, I met this one guy who tested 14 times before he actually got hired. You run yeah, I think in larger departments, you're having a lot of that. But, you know, you got to remember like late 2008, 2009, you know, there weren't that many people yet like really out of the military. You had that first like big wave of maybe 2004, 2005, everybody getting out. They really didn't know like what to do with military people. So like you show up and you got all these qualifications and you're like, you know, they're looking at some dude who just got out of high school or college and they're like, well, you've, you've been in the military for five years. You got combat lifesaving. You got this and that. We know you can like leadership potential as an NCO. So it's always been like a no brainer to me, man. If I was running a business or if I was running, you know, any type of thing like that, like, you know, that's what I'd be looking for, like veterans right away. Like I'd be trying to get like right before they ETS and stuff. I know down in uh, 29 Palms where I was stationed, LAPD would come in uh, during the transition phase, I guess, and be like, hey, who wants to be a cop? People raise their hand and say, okay, come with me. And they would let them test there on site and everything. I mean, I think like, you know, and I've said this a lot, you know, when we talk to people at AWI, et cetera, is like, you know, you're dealing with typically people look at, hey, where'd you go to college? Like, what'd you study or whatever? And it's like, you know, people coming out of the military have like almost an MBA. It's not like particularly in like business, but when you look at like what, you know, junior NCOs, E4s, E5s and above have like, you know, hey, I was responsible for 40s. I was responsible for millions of dollars in equipment. 
the whole civilian mindset is so different from the military mindset. And they don't realize that this mission for kind of training and outlook makes soldiers very valuable employees. Like multitasking, I got that. You're an author. How in the world did you get involved with that? Well, it was something like I wanted to do uh, when I was like growing up. I like to write and stuff. And then I went to college and, you know, everybody kind of tells you like when you take like creative writing or whatever and they're like, hey, you know, you're most likely going to have to get another job, etc. And so, you know, I naturally kind of stopped thinking about it when I went into the military or whatnot. And then when I got out, like the big thing is, what do you have to write about? You know, you got the military, you got a lot of stuff to write about. And so I sat down one day and was like, I want to try this out. Actually, what got me started was when I was in the military, my first squad leader, like he was like, you know, you went to college and he thought that was hilarious. And he asked, like, would you study? I told him, you know, creative writing English. He thought that that was hilarious. And, you know, he used to make fun of me and stuff. Well, through our conversations, as we got to know each other better, you know, he was like, I kind of dig that, I guess. So he got out, used his GI Bill, went to uh, college got like a master's and then he called me one day and he's like, Hey man, I just, you know, got a master's degree in creative writing and I just wrote my first book. I was like, dude, you, you messing with me? And he's like, nah, for real. So I looked it up and I was like, dude, if that guy can do it. Stealing my dream. Then, you know, I can do that. I just sat down and like kind of learned by screwing up a bunch. Is it, uh, it's a grueling process, isn't it? It is, you know, and there's not a lot of people that tell you what you're supposed to do or, things like that. And so um, I know we talked about it a few times and, you know, Sean Purnell and I have talked about it a few times. And it's one of those things where I think people in the military are natural storytellers because that's what we do. You sit around a lot and you're doing like a lot of BSing and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a lot of stories out there that aren't just special operations, Delta and stuff. And like, like your story, you know, that's something that I think America wants to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, like writing is not my strong suit. I like probably about a year ago I started taking it serious, and then because uh, I would eat my, I work for American War Initiative, and I'm not gonna lie to you, my writing was completely horrible. Lori was like, "Hey, you gotta you gotta focus up your writing because it is disgusting. You're kind of embarrassing yourself. You know, you yes. gotta get it done." So I started doing a little bit of research on it, and started reading some books about it, and just started doing it. And it was a long process until I actually – now I'm starting to kind of understand it, but it's still a huge beast. What do you say to, I guess, the vets that are listening to me saying, hey, I got a fantastic story in my head. How do I get it out on paper on paper in clear like understanding that people can understand? Well, I think like the biggest thing that I've seen like you know helping other vets write and stuff is that um, you know a lot of people think that like writing is like – I don't know, special art that only have people have. And like when I'm writing, I just think about like the way I talk and the way I think things and the way the thousands of conversations that I've had and, you know, been a part of. And so when you're writing, you just, you know, you just want to be as natural as possible. And, you know, there's people that can clean up your grammar and tell you, Hey, it's better if you tell a story this way or, you know, all the minutia that goes into telling a story. But first thing is just get out that draft, get that first draft. You just telling that story like this happened, this happened, I was here. You know, think about like what I thought about was like, hey, if nobody knew what was going on and I just was sitting down there telling them a story around a campfire, like how would I do that? Where would I start? I mean, you can't just be like, yeah, I was in Ramadi with, you know, the 82nd Airborne, you know, 3504 and people like, whoa, 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 what's that? And so, you know, you just got to kind of think like if I was talking to somebody like an eighth grader who didn't know what I was talking about, you just kind of lay it out like that. I think uh, a lot of veterans feel that 
their story is not worthy enough because you see the books like, you know, Sean's Outlaw Platoon doing successful. Uh, the booklet uh, by the Restrepo Dudes War and American Sniper and Lone Survivor. You he hear all those. I think a lot of veterans try to say, like, you know what, my story's not worthy enough for it. But I think civilians, they want to hear it. Not only that, other veterans want to hear it because they feel we don't feel that we click with anybody. And when we hear other people's stories, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's just like what I'm thinking, I guess. What do you uh, what do you say to the veteran that's kind of shy, like people may think less of me because of what happened in the war or what happened in the transition phase into the civilian world? What do you say to them? Well, that's one thing, like, I think a lot of veterans, like for me personally, I should say, um, I wrote fiction because like I could tell a story, but it wasn't like Josh did this and I did this. And like, I think a lot of us are kind of like shy about being like, Hey, I'm tooting my own horn or whatever. And you know, so that's why I wrote fiction. Cause I could tell my stories, but it's like another character is basically doing it. Like what I would say and what I've always said is that America's hungry for these stories. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL. You don't have to do this because if you look at it, you know, you got like one or 2% that was actually in combat and you know, on the line or whatever. So you're making up a very, you know, elite cadre right there. And for me personally, like I love reading books about, hey, I was in Ramadi. I was in uh, Fallujah. I was in Helmand. I was in Kabul. And so, you know, you got to realize that your story does have worth because you did something that 98, 99 percent of the world has never done. And so, you know, the idea I understand the idea of yeah, I don't want to talk about myself, but at the same time, you got to realize like. When you put something out there, I've had so many people come up and say like, hey, I recognize, you know, it's like going home, I guess, is what I got. I got like, you know, you hear little things like you're writing about like call signs or radio etiquette or keep my weapon clean. And like, you know, another veteran reads that and it's like going home. There's a dude there, you know, and he's like, I was there too. And the best thing was I wrote it and a dude called me and was like, hey, man, like I just got out of the military and I was feeling kind of low. I was having these dreams, whatever, PTSD. And, you know, I felt all alone and isolated. And uh, I read your book and it, it was like you were talking to me. And he's like, I realized then that I wasn't alone. And that's, you know, the whole reason I wrote the book was primarily to reach out to veterans and say, hey, there's no reason to be ashamed of what, what you did. In fact, you should be proud and, you know, it should be celebrated. Um, I love hearing other veterans' stories. And the more, uh, the more I read them, the more I see value in putting yourself out there, being vulnerable about, yeah, this is what I did. This is how I felt. For years, for me, I kept all that inside. Like, I didn't have trouble in Iraq and in the war and all that. I had trouble at home because I felt I could not relate to anybody, even because even I come from an Air Force Army town because there's a National Guard unit and there's also an Air Force base right outside our town. And a lot of my friends were veterans, and I still felt that I could not relate because I was scared to tell them, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm having troubles with. It's tough, man, because I was watching a little thing on, um, I think it was YouTube. It was like, I can't remember the name, but it was like For the 25 or something. It was about this Marine sniper unit that went to Afghanistan. And they were talking about how, like, they took, like it was 2010, they took all these casualties and, and they were just telling their story like video wise, like going from one dude to the next. Everybody's perspective about what they were feeling, thinking when that happened was different. And then they got into the part at the end when they everybody got back and they're like, I was a part of this great thing. I was a part of the Marine Corps. I was a sniper and I was, you know, out there. People trusted me to do this stuff. 
And now I'm McDonald's, you know, like making minimum wage. Like, you know, I have all these, you know, I'm having like all these thoughts and like I'll have fun and then I'll be like playing golf or whatever. And suddenly I'm thinking about like what happened in the Hellmond or whatever. And it's like, you know, that's a transition that not the majority of the people never go through. It's like you're the tip of the spear. The next day you're like hanging out, like talking to your friends that like cut grass for a living. And then you're flipping burgers because you got to go make some money. And it's like, for me, it felt like, dude, I was up here. And then like, I feel now like I'm down here and like, you know, you don't have your boys around you. You don't have that support system anymore and you're all by yourself. And I think like for me, like self-medication was alcohol. And then, you know, you start to deal with like, for me, it was like, you know, when I would get stressed out or whatever in the civilian world, like it would go to that, that anger place right away. You know, and that aggression is what you're trained to do in the military. Like, that's what they want. Like, you're feeling, like, threatened. We'll go deal with the person that's threatening you. Like, that dude shooting at you, like, go destroy that. You know what I mean? And, like, how do you transition that into, like, a place where you can't call, like, you call somebody a bitch or whatever, and, like, all of a sudden, you know, you're getting written up or whatever for, like, you know, harassing somebody, and you're like, what? What's going on here? It's just surreal. I had that same issue. Uh, my first job was Pizza Place. And uh, I just kept thinking there's got to be more than life than this. Because like you said, we're on, we're part of the elite. And then all of a sudden we drop down. I'm not saying there's anything bad with getting a regular job. But it's just a real, you're on that level. And you get down, you experience that level. And you're like, okay, how can I get back up there? So it was, it was very tough. And I also used alcohol. And uh, that was a good way to self-medicate. you know. And it's also very popular. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, I think it's a double-edged sword because I feel in a lot of ways the VA and some of these other people are kind of lagging behind. But if you look at the positive, it's like, look at all the entrepreneurs that are coming out of the military now. Guys with no college education running like multi-million dollar companies, you know, like, you know, let's take AWI, nonprofit that got started up by, you know, a guy that came out of the military. You got Article 15, you got Ranger Up, you got... um I know there's a bunch of Marine companies. I'm trying to think of um, the one started by that old first sergeant. Um, uh, I can't remember. But, you know, I mean, it's like you have all these freaking companies now with these dudes that just have like a dream and like incredible work ethic. And they're like, I'm going to make this happen. And they make it happen. And like through that process, it's like also a healing process because you're able to bring more veterans in and be like, hey, dude, you know, I know this guy will work cheaper, but man, I was in the military with you and Hey, you want to come work for me and we'll build this business. And it's like, it's amazing when you look at like how veterans are changing the skate, the landscape of, uh, you know, United States. What do you say to that, uh, dude out there right now who has that idea, whether it's a recording studio, you know, a gym, a, some sort of something, but he's just scared to take that initial step. What do you say? I say to them, you know, the same thing I said to myself. When I put out Clear by Fire, I was trying to get an agent, you know, because you have to have an agent to actually sell the book. I was rejected 87 times. <laughs> 87 times in a row, people were like, this is bad, or they're just like, hey, no, thank you, or like, you're just, you can't write, you're terrible. And every day, like, the same thing in the military is like when you're on that road march and you're like, I'm not worried about getting to mile 20. I'm worried about this minute right now, I put the left foot and the right foot in front and, you know, I just keep rolling and you know that you're not going to quit. You're going to get there eventually. And so that's what I did with the book. And that's what I challenge everybody out there to do. Like if you have a dream, don't look at the end state, you know, don't look at, Hey, all these people are saying, no, this is how much I can fail. 
you know yourself better than anybody. You know the motivation, how you're willing to, you know, work harder than everybody else. And I said, you know, I said from the beginning and I say this now, I might not be the best writer in the world, but I guarantee you I will outgrind anybody else there. I'll work the longer hours to make sure it's good. You know, I won't take vacation. Like I hadn't not written something since 2012. And a lot of that stuff, it's like Thomas Edison said, he invented the light bulb and he failed like a thousand times. So somebody asked him like, you failed a thousand times trying to make the light bulb. Why didn't you quit? And he's like, I didn't fail a thousand times. I found a thousand ways it didn't work. You know, so I think it's all about perspective, man. How did you come up with the, because uh, you definitely have experience in combat. How did you come up with the fiction? I guess you're clear by fire. And it, talk about that a little bit, how you got the, I guess, story plot from the books and how you designed almost each character and how they developed, I guess, a storyline almost. Well, the way it started, I was <clears throat> actually in Afghanistan when I got the idea. And basically it was just, you know, I was listening to the radio on uh, Fires Network and like we could hear the FO call, talking to one of the uh, Apaches and they had a bunch of Taliban in this compound. They were shooting they were trying to get the Apache on station. And every time the Apache would fly over, the dude would put down like his rifle and just like stand there like he's out there with his family, like at a barbecue or whatever. And the Apache's like, dude, we can't shoot because this guy doesn't have a weapon. As soon as the Apache would leave station, they'd pick it up again. So I was thinking to myself, it'd be cool if like there was a soldier that was like, you know, could blend in, like go in there, un uncover, undercover almost way. You know, what could a person like that do? What would he look like? So I started, you know, writing this book when I got out and it was like, First off, it was just started. It was just like about him. Like this, this dude did this, went to point B, got into combat, went to point C. And then like, you know, this bad thing happened or whatever. So, you know, I submitted that and they're like, this is not any good. And so finally, like this one lady took a second and kind of explained the rules. Like you got to have more characters. You have to tell this story kind of this way. And so then I just started thinking like about people I knew. And, you know, obviously I changed the names, but I was like, if this dude is in this situation, like what would happen? You know, you just start building it. I've always said it's like building a house. You know, you put the foundation down and you start laying out the studs. And then once you put the pipes and the electrical in, you put the walls in. And it's just like that process. It doesn't happen overnight, but everybody has to start somewhere. And everybody has to start from the bottom. So it's like, dude, I'm willing to put in the time to learn it. You just got to, you know, stay like true to that dream and be like, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to make this happen. So she kind of took you underneath the underneath your wing she gave me like you know that that hand to get up to that next level you know we she didn't really say you need to do it this way or that way she was just told me this is what somebody's looking for and so you know i started researching started trying to meet people that had done this and you know it was like sharpening a knife you know you just keep going until it's sharp enough till it cuts what you want sometimes you the biggest thing is like I've learned more from failure than I've ever learned from success. It's like if everything comes easy, um, it's one of those things where, you know, if it was easy, most people would do it. And that's what the separates like the dreamers from the doers. You know what I mean? It's, we all have to take that jump. We all have to like Steve Harvey talks about, you know, uh, we got to wake up, rise and grind. You know, you know, the you know, the dream is free motivation sold separately type thing. <clears throat> it's like everybody wants to say no. But you just got to believe in yourself and be like, hey, nothing's going to stop me. I can't remember who it was. I want to say almost Les Brown. But he said, if you, he's like, just think, if you knew that it was going to take 200 no's before you got a yes, 
you would get you would work nonstop until you got those two hundred no's. It, it's dude, it's true, and like that's what I try to do. I try to study people who failed, but you know, in the end, is have been successful, and I try to take what they say and, and take out those little diamonds, you know. And it's everybody says the same thing, you know. A dream is never going to become anything if you're sitting on the couch. Like think about you, you know, you got you got a gym, you got a business that you run now. You wouldn't have done that sitting on the couch. You know, you had the dream and then you, you're like, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to believe in it. And you didn't listen to the haters and the people who are saying like, yeah, you're going to fail or you could do this because, you know, you got to get up and you got to take that first step. And then it's just the next step and the next step until you get to where you're getting to. It's scary and it's embarrassing to take that first step because deep down, you know, you're going to get rejected. You know, you're going to get made fun of, you know gonna hear that you're not smart enough you don't have the right things you don't have the right support and once you get over that it's uh it's pretty good you know because <laughs> now you expect it or you do That's, expect it but now you're just used to it in a way it's like going after that hot chick you know in like high school or whatever and everybody's like no nah, man she's not interested in you and like if you go up to her and she shoots you down you know, it's like, I haven't lost anything but like if you go up to her you know, three nights later and you're like Hey, you know, let me buy you a beer. And finally she's like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, right there, you're like feeling like a million bucks. You forget about the other times. <laughs> you're like, look at him. You see that? <laughs> yeah. Makes you feel good on the inside. Gives you that warm and fuzzy. How did you uh, end the story? Because, yeah, right now it's two book series. Um, right. How did you, did you know when you wrote your first one? Was the first one, was it Warning Order? Or was it the first one was order? Clear by Fire, yeah. And they, uh. It was originally just supposed to be one book, and they went ahead and bought two books, one that I hadn't even written. So, you know, I sat down. I was like, man, I need to try and come up with another book here. And the process was a little bit easier that time. But, you know, even now when I'm trying to do other things, it's like I have that experience, but you're constantly pushing the envelope, trying to get better. Because you don't want to just have like, hey, I opened this gym and I got a bench press machine and that's it. You know, one day you want to get, you know, the squat racks. And the next day you want to get, you know, the pec deck and stuff. And so... It's like you're always trying to make it, you know, that goal is not just to have like one and done. That goal is like when I get there, when I get to that success, that point of success, you know, that's when I push the throttle even farther forward because, you know, you don't want to stop there. You want to be, it's like you want to have your, your foot on the neck of it. Yeah, it's one of the, like the what now type things. You know, you work so hard to reach that goal. I felt that when uh, American War Initiative was like, hey, you should come, you should come work for us, speak for us. And I got it. I dreamed of that for just to speak professionally for so long. And now it's like, okay, what now? Now is now my focus is the gym, and that that's what keeps me going. And I'm not gonna lie to you, Josh. I am very like sporadic. One moment I'd be like, okay, I want to do the gym. Next moment I'd be like, okay, I want to be like a firefighter. And I just when I felt things weren't going my way, I would be like, all right, throw my hands up and just walk away from it until like three months later. But now I just understand that, no, it takes 100% focus on that one thing, you know. That's why, like, I've left all this bare, you know, saving this one because I said, you know, as I get closer to my goal, I've always thought of that story of Cortez when he, him and his men, like, showed up at in the New World or Mexico, wherever it was, and, you know, they're getting off and whatever, and Cortez burns his boats, and so they're like, you know, we're from Spain or whatever, dude. You're burning our boats. Where are we going to go? And he's, there's only one way to go, man. It's forward. We got to go. We have to be victorious because 
I just burned your boats. And so, you know, that's no choice. For, right. That's for me, my visual focus. And, you know, eventually I want to get the tattoo to, you know, show that is that there is no plan B, man. It's like it might for me writing. It might not be what I want it to be one day. I might not be the best in the world. I'm a cop and I do other stuff to pay the bills. But there is no plan B. There is no what happens if this fails. Like I've watched a uh, documentary. This is kind of funny on about Kid Rock. And the dude's like a great businessman. If you study like his business and what he does and where he's come from, they were talking about when he was putting out that second album that kind of like made him. The guy was saying every day when he was in the uh, recording studio, he would just yell out, I'm going platinum. You know, and that became his like his, his mantra. And it was on you know the record. But he would say every day before he'd start or while he was singing, I'm going platinum. And, you know, it was just like he was that's what he was about. He was willing that to happen by his hard work. You know, it's little stories like that that keep, you know, that spark of motivation going. Because my brother is also a grunt. And he talks about, we talk a lot about, you know, your motivation meter, your suck meter. Motivation is the fuel of a soldier, you know. It's like you got to keep that. And sometimes it's starting to go out, but you, you know, you keep that little flame going because that's what's keeping you going. And it's one of those things where that's, I think, the heart and soul of a soldier is his motivation. And you got to protect that again from everybody. That is, uh, I like how you say you got to protect that because you truly have to. Because sometimes it's just you. Your family might bring you down. Your best friend might bring you down. But you have to know deep down that, hey, this is mine. No one's going to come in my way. That's right, man. It's it's a lot like combat and war and stuff like that. Is If you're a veteran, you've already done the hardest thing in the world. You've made a contract to the United States that you'll give your life for something bigger. And you know, a lot of people don't think about that. But when you're signing and you raise your hand, what you're saying is, I'm going to give my life for you. You know, I'm going to sacrifice me for you. And so when you get out, People don't ever put that in perspective. People don't put it in perspective that like I joined, I gave up everything, my rights, my freedom to go fight for something big, bigger, knowing that I was going to give my life. The baggage that I bring back, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. You know, you don't walk through the fire without getting a little, you know, smoke on you and a little, your clothes get licked by the flames. That's just what it is, man. That's just part of the experience. But, you know, it's at that point when you're setting out to accomplish your goal, Whatever it is, and it might not succeed the first time. It might not be the idea, the first one. It might be like, you know, idea 6.0 that gets you the go or whatever. But it's like, man, you got to protect yourself from the people that want to steal your joy and that want to steal your motivation and want to just sit on the couch and be like, dude, just come drink a beer. And you're like, nah, dude, I got a mission, man. Yeah, I ain't got time for that. No, you go cut your grass later, man. Like, I'm, I'm going all the way to the top. I'm going platinum. You're going double uranium, son. That's right. Oh, I put out uh, some on Facebook saying, "Hey, does anyone have any questions for for the podcast?" And one of them, uh, a guy named Terrence, I know him. He's a Marine. He also, I think, he served in Fallujah when it was when it was popping. And uh, he asked, um, "How do we bridge the gap between law enforcement and military personnel when it comes to PTSD?" Being a law enforcement officer yourself, what do you what do you think about that? Man, I think that, like, in some ways, the correlation is similar. You know, like, I was, I mean, it sounds bad, but I was jacked up when I came to the law enforcement. So I've never had law enforcement PT, PTSD. I could just talk about the military side. But, you know, when you're bridging that gap, and, um, you know, I've seen it a few times, guys, that something happens on the job, and it's like, it's like being a deployed. Like, you're deployed, you're doing it 365. Like, being a cop, you get to go home at night or whatever. You still have that same stimulus. And it's like, 
a lot of soldiers and guys that are there, they need to be those mentors when they go to the when they go to the law enforcement side. When you look at law enforcement, they look to the military for, you know, tactics, gear, uh, medical, all these things. And, you know, also one of those things that as a soldier and you if you go into the military, you're providing a service for the law enforcement or you go into law enforcement, you're still in that mentor role, man. You got to take some of these guys, you know, to the side and say, like, look, this happened to me. And, um, you know, reach out to your local law enforcement and be like, hey, this is what I've seen. Uh, maybe I can come in and talk to your guys or whatever. You know, it's knowledge is the one thing that nobody has like a monopoly on it. And you got to share what you've done, you know, with law enforcement, with other guys and um, just to make yourself better and then better. I don't know if I answered the question or not, but. No, I like how I like how you put that, that the military side has to mentor the law enforcement side. Uh, I've talked to a couple cops and almost I'd say 70 percent of them say, you know, our PTSD is different from yours, meaning that uh, military is more severe than the law enforcement. But if you look at the statistics and stuff, you see that this, the same problems that are in the military, they're happening in law enforcement. So I always thought, like, why are they treating this like almost like a rivalry type deal? You know, we should be coming together and mentoring each other because one deployment might not be, but you might not have fired your weapon once on your deployment, but you get in law enforcement you might fire your weapon a couple times, and there's a couple cops on there that they're salty. They have that experience that they could take that military person under their wing. So I think you answered it fantastically. Oh, man, I try. Thanks. Speaking of Ranger Up and Article 15, have you seen that movie yet? I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I hear it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, just watching the trailer, I really want to watch it. And I think I might get on that because you can get it on iTunes now, man. Yeah, it's like if I had a second to sit down and watch some TV or whatever, maybe I could catch up on my uh, Bachelorette or whatever that show's called. I'm like, however many seasons there are behind. <laughs> you dream about being on that show, don't you? Uh, my wife wouldn't like that, but I think that'd be like pretty epic. Like I've always, that's another funny thing is like, imagine like a true like salty boot or whatever, like going onto that show. And it's just like, bleep, 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 bleep. You want to do what, please? Drunk all the time? That'd be hilarious, man. That'd be entertainment right there. The rate, they'd probably get the highest ratings ever if they yeah. actually manned up and did that. Crazy. I thought it'd be pretty awesome, but I don't know if anybody's going to go that way. No, I think uh, putting a lot at risk. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joshua Hood Books. I got a website, uh, www.joshuahoodbooks.com. You know, the books are at Amazon. The books are at Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. And, you know, the email is Joshua at Joshua Books. Like, if there's veterans out there who have a question, man, I get – it's awesome for me to talk to other guys who have served. And I get a lot of guys asking me questions like, hey, I want to write or I want to do this or whatever, man. Just like, hey, what's up? You know, and I know you are just like me, man. You love to hear from other guys that have been there and done that. And it's just like this whole family, like that we finally get to, we're, we're getting to like reach out again. It's like having a big Thanksgiving after being away for a while. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. So is there anything else that you would like to say to anybody out there struggling or regardless if it's military or civilian, civilian just trying to grind away and it's just not working? Man, the, the thing I can say is we've all been there, I think. We've all been to that like dark spot and it's the biggest thing that I say is, man, you got to, if you need help, you reach out for help. It's not being weak. It's not being, 
you know, a bitch or anything like that. If you need help, you know, it's like they say, if you break it, you bought it. And that's what the VA is for. That's what these other people are for, man. You know, you got to think of, I've told a lot of people, your military experience and your military life isn't over when you get out of the military. It's like that second chapter in your life just starting. You haven't ended as a soldier. You're taking everything that you have and you're bringing it forward. You know, I think a lot of people lose focus and they think that like, hey, you know, I'm all alone. You're not alone. There's thousands of us out there, man. You can reach out to me. I know they can reach out to you. They can reach out to AWI. You're not alone. We're here. I'm here. And I know you're here to help whoever wants to be successful in this second chapter. And, you know, some guys are going to sit there and roll their eyes. But other guys, if you need it, man, just type out a little email and, you know, we'll be I know my phone's always on and always chirping. We'll man, we'll make it happen. Just ask yourself what happens if I don't do it, you know? That's what I said, man. I was like, the only thing in my life that I've ever really seen clearly is that I don't want to be on that my deathbed thinking about, hey, man, I wish I had done this. Like, I want to be on my deathbed thinking about, like, yeah, I did it all. And there's some stories. There were some mistakes and some failures. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I don't have any regrets, man. Yep. Those failures and those, uh, I guess, embarrassing moments of your life is what molded you to who you That's are right. today. And those make the funny stories anyway. Oh, dude, it's hilarious. <laughs> I think about my uh, time and all the crazy stuff that I've done, and I just sit back and I think like, wow, I can't believe that I actually did that, or I can't believe I'm still alive right now. I mean, all the best stories start off, no shit, there I was. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, man, but... Hey, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I highly appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone that listens appreciates it. So, Man, anytime. I'd love to come back. Speaking of coming back, you need to come down here to the Springs, baby. Hey, we're looking at it. We're uh, The wife wants to move to the land of milk and honey. <laughs> well, you and legalized marijuana. Well, you, <laughs> you got a place to stay if you want to, man. We're going to be heading out there. It's medicinal. All medicinal. <laughs> I love you, man. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, brother. All right.